tell me. There's a song that was written a long time ago by Bruce Springsteen called Born to Run. Right? Some of you know that song, right? But do you know that as Christians, you were born to run? You were born to run. So the question I have for you today, are you running? You're running. Were you ready and you're running? Are you running away? Or are you running the way God has called you to run? You see, if you listen to the song, in fact, if you run the way Bruce Springsteen said to run, you probably end up running away from things rather than running to things. And there's a difference. And when we are called by God, when we give our hearts to the Lord and we surrender our lives to God, he calls us to run. He doesn't call us to sit. He doesn't call us to lay back and rest. He calls you and me to run. He does. But the problem is that there are so many things in our way. Satan, the world, our problems, that keep on coming and keep on holding us back. But guess what? You don't have to let those things hold you back. Because God has given us the ability to deal with those things so we can run. And today I want to talk about that. I want to talk about what's going to make you run. What's going to help you run? I mean, remember when Jesus was walking in the streets and from town to town, sometimes in the media room, you know, I give my scripture, and sometimes scripture comes to mind, you know, and, and so they have to scramble. So it's, it's Luke 9, verse 62. Jesus is walking through the towns, and people are saying, we want to follow you. Jesus, we heard your message. We love it. We want to follow you. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. And some said, oh. and Jesus said, okay, come along. And they said, oh, no, I ha- but wait, I got to go back and do something. I, I got to go bury my father, which means take care of my father because, you know, until and he's old. Or in other words, I, I got to go say goodbye. You know what Jesus said? Your hand to the plow, remember? You can't look back. When Jesus calls us, he calls us to run. He calls us to plow. He calls us to be his witnesses. Do you ever see a farmer look back when they plow? Can you imagine what would happen? There they're plowing. You know, plowing away. Maybe the wife calls, hey, yeah? What ends up happening? All of a sudden, what you were trying to plow straight goes crooked. And that's why Jesus said, if you're taking the plow, you can't look back. Once you've made that decision, you can't look back. You got to go forward. But here's the irony. Here's the irony behind it. What Jesus is talking about is not looking back at your life. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is looking back at the responsibilities and the ways you've done things 
and how you've lived, that is what you can't look back on. But now God is charting a new course for you. And that is what you cannot question. So sometimes we as Christians need to really look at what is Scripture trying to tell us. And today, I want to dig in because I think that understanding what Jesus is trying to teach us here is very, very important. And there are things in culture, just like Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run, there are things in culture that sometimes creep in and muddle things up a bit. And we need to filter that out. We need to filter that out. All right, let's start. Let's start today. All right, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world. What is it saying? Do not be conformed to this world. The first statement, do not be conformed to this world. It means we must be separate. We can't be aligned to it. We have to be separate. We cannot, we cannot think that we're part of this world. We are called aliens in the Bible. Right? Aliens. Not the outer space type of aliens, but, you know, aliens from a foreign land. We are called aliens in the Bible. We are called ambassadors. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody who lives in a foreign country. We're called ambassadors. Ambassadors don't live in a foreign country and adopt the ways of life of that country. An ambassador is there to represent the values, the views, the way of life of the country that sent them. And if you're not ready to be an alien or an ambassador, then you're not ready to run. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed. What does it mean to be transformed? It means to be changed. We need to be changed, transformed from who we were to who God wants us to be. And so God isn't asking us not to look back at our life and get things right. He's telling us not to look back on the things that shaped our life and shaped who we are and to look to the things that he will shape and the things that he will create in you and me. Listen to the rest of the verse. Be renewed by the renewal of your mind, by the renewal of your mind. It's an admission that there are things that we have let creep in that have shaped how we think and our attitudes towards things. And that by testing, testing the things that are in the mind, you know, it's like a scientist, right? I have a hypothesis, is this right or not? That's what God does. In Jeremiah 17, he says, I see the heart and test the mind. So God sees your hearts. He sees the things that have perkled in over time or things that have creeped in from the world. And what he does is he, he tests your mind. He tests your heart because he sees your heart. And why does he do that? Because he wants to transform you. He wants you to run. And listen to this, so that you may discern the will of God. Wow. That's huge. There are some people think that you can't discern the will of God. Well, there's scripture right there. It says, you will discern the will of God. Scripture says you can discern the will of God in your life. 
If you could not discern the will of God, then why bother becoming a Christian? We become Christians so that our sins are forgiven and we're saved and that we will live on this life with God in us, his spirit living in us. Is the spirit living in us just to have a rest? No. It's for us to discern the will of God. For what reason? For what is good and acceptable and perfect. You might say, oh, Julia, you know, the will of God, that's huge. That is huge. And that is true. You cannot understand everything of God. You cannot understand God. It is impossible to understand who God is. Even the Trinity, which we use as doctrine here, guess what, guys? The Trinity, as a specific model dictated from the Bible, does not exist. Look for it. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God is a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Nowhere. Look at it. Challenge you. Look at it. It says nowhere. It was revealed to us that there is something mysterious and special between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's why the doctrine of the Trinity was developed. But it wasn't because it was dictated like the Ten Commandments. There's a principle there. There's a principle for us to understand. And so today I want to talk about principles because principles are extremely important. It's principles that drive us. It's principles that help us overcome things. It's principles in our lives that help us do small things that have a huge effect. Coming here Sunday for an hour to listen and to worship or two when you have hours and hours between the week, that little time needs to have a huge impact. A huge impact. And for us, here, when we are giving you the message, that is what we're hoping, that you will leave here with one thing that can transform your life. One thing. That will shape you day in, day out, every day. And it's something our, our whole world operates like that. How many of you know, there's an Italian guy here, Velfredo Federico Damaso Pareto. Anybody? Come on, there's some Italians in here. Velfredo Federico Damaso Pareto. Anybody? Does anybody have a clue what I'm talking about? The last name should give you a clue. Pareto. I think some people are nodding. The Pareto Principle. What is the Pareto Principle? Well, it's the same idea as a rudder on a ship or on a plane. It's probably less than 1% of all the steel or materials that go to make up the ship. Yet it is the one thing, that little thing, that little piece, that little mechanism will change directions of the entire ship or the entire plane. The Pareto principle is that there are some things that you can receive in small amounts that have a huge effect on your life. When Jesus was tested by the Pharisees, what's the greatest law? That is exactly what Jesus did. See, Jesus spoke to us in principles, not rules. The Pharisees spoke in rules. Jesus spoke in principles. Jesus was teaching us the principles that led to the law. That's why he said, I came to fulfill the law. 
But Jesus pointed out that sometimes the laws that they interpreted or established based on the principles that he wanted us to live by had actually gone astray. Didn't Jesus say, God allowed you to divorce? Hmm? God didn't want them to divorce. He allowed them. So there are things that we need to understand, and principles are so important. And one principle that I think holds many of us back and something that we have very little understanding is the principle of grief, sorrow, mourning, and regret. You might say, oh, gee, this is, this is a heavy topic. It is a heavy topic. It is a heavy topic. But it is something so misunderstood in our society and sometimes something misunderstood in how we live. But if we can overcome some of these aspects in our attitude or the things that are holding us back, we can start charting a new course. A new course that'll help us to gain strength and to start running. We need to understand why regret is such a big issue. Regret, sorrow, pain. You know, in our society, we talk a lot about regret, especially these days, from what's been happening with the residential schools, right? A lot of speeches are being made that people regret and they're sorry. And to one extreme, people can live with regret, and this is what we know about the First Nations people, who have been abused, who have had a hard life, they can let that regret overtake them and become such a weight on their lives that it becomes so unbearable that they can't live. They can't live a normal life. And we go through that too. There are people that I have counseled that have gone through life with so much abuse or not even abuse, but so many trials And then they're called, and they become Christians. But they're not running. They're not running. And so are we going to allow the things of our past to weigh us down? Or are we going to break through and start to run? Because that is what God is calling us to do. He wants us to live a life of no regrets. But not a life of no regrets like the world has it a life, a godly life of no regrets. And I want to talk about that today. What does it mean to live with no regrets? Because if you can live with no regrets, it doesn't matter what your past has. You can remember your past, but it will never enslave you. It doesn't matter what happened to you. It will never hold you back. It doesn't matter that somebody did something to you because it will no longer have power on your life. In fact, it will be your strength because you've overcome it. It doesn't matter if you've done something to somebody that you know you shouldn't have, but it doesn't matter because there is a way to grieve and to mourn and to put that aside and to move on. There is a way to deal with things in our life that we need to deal with. And what happens is we don't. See, the world's way of no regrets is, you know, like, you know, I was looking at some artists, there's movies about no regrets. I mean, Eminem, Dappy, there's even an old singer, Tom Rush, 
They sing about no regrets. The concept of no regrets in society is not the concept of no regrets that God wants you to live by. And so first I want to deal with what does our culture say about no regrets before we get into what God says about how to live with no regrets. Are you with me? Let's go through this. All right. How many know Frank Sinatra? Eh? Before COVID, I used to go to a barber, and they loved to play Frank Sinatra. It was all these older men, you know, and, the, you know, it was a typical barbershop. You know, they play all these Frank Sinatra and all these other types of And sometimes, my way would come on. You know? I did it my way. Right? There's Frank Sinatra. And, and one, of the, one of the lyrics is, he mentions, he goes, regrets I had a few, too few to mention. I don't know if you ever came across that. He says, regrets I had a few, too few to mention. What he's saying is, I don't want to live by my regrets. I don't want to recognize them. I don't want to deal with them. And if you look at a lot of the popular culture today and movies is, I don't want to be held back by morals or, or held back by, by what people think of me. I want to live life the way I want and with no regrets. That's what happens. But the reality is, you can't live that way. You can't. You just can't. And so what I did is I went and I searched through different magazines and different documents to see what is it that's out there that's saying. And the first thing that says popular culture is saying, live a life with no regrets. Your parents tell you to do something, just go and do whatever you want. Church says to do something, do whatever you want. Live with no regrets. You only live once, right? You only live once. But in the Atlantic, it's a heady magazine, at least they're starting to see that there is something wrong with living with no regrets. Here's a quote from the Atlantic, and you'll see, so I'll have several quotes from the Atlantic. But no regrets suggest that life can and should be lived without looking through the rearview mirror. So in other words, even in culture, they're starting to see that a life of no regrets has its implications. It's saying that you'll never look back. Never look back. And I've heard it preached, guys, okay? I've heard it preached. Never look back. God doesn't say that. God never says never look back. God is very specific about what he says when he says to look back. In fact, he many times says remember what happened. Remember to Israel? Remember what happened in Egypt. Remember what I did for you. What God doesn't want you to remember are the things that plague you and shame you and hold you back. So what are the things that he wants you to remember? What are the things that you don't remember? You see, to have no regrets, I have another quote here from a professor of philosophy, Anna Gottlieb, and she says, to have no regrets, you think that absolutely everything you've done and everything that has happened to you is perfect, just the way it is. That's, that's what no regrets means in, in society, that you think that everything's perfect, that you've lived a life and everything's perfect the way it is. Could be bad, could be good, but 
who cares? Or you just don't have the perspective to see that it's not. Well, to me, that tells me that the perspective of no regrets in our society, of having to go through life and not worry about grief and sorrow and pain and not deal with it, talks to me of indifference, rebellion, denial. That's not the kind of no regrets that God is calling us to live by. So I ask you, do we as Canadians understand how to deal with regret, grief, and sorrow? Do we? Do we? Do we do that? Well, here's an interesting thing, an interesting thing about statistics. There is statistics that um, they do on regret, okay? And every time that they go and survey Canadians or Americans or other, they ask them about regret, and you know what the number one thing that they, that concept that comes up when they regret is what they haven't done. It's the bucket list. So when people are talking about no regret, it's not about dealing with the decisions they've made. The no regrets that our culture talks about is about your bucket list. Right? And so I dug a little further, and apparently there's this world regret survey of 15,000 people, and some guy wrote a book about it and made millions on it. Man, I wish I had that idea. Survey 15,000 people around the world, write a book, and make a lot of money out of it, right? So he did that. And so it's cool. You can go online, and you can look at the survey questions, and you can actually go to a particular part. And so I went to Ontario, and it had responses from people in this survey about what they don't regret. And it said, not getting a dog earlier, Travel when I was younger. Oh, I wish I had traveled. I, I regret that. Regret not spending more time with my mom. Well, that's a nicer one there. Not getting back with my ex-husband. Not playing the piano. But you start getting to see what I'm trying to get at. In culture, the concept of no regrets is the bucket list of things that I didn't do. And you see here, my first problem that I have with our concept of no regrets is that it's about what I didn't do, not about what I did do. And until we get to the things that we did do or were done to us or that we saw done to others, until we deal with those, we're not going to run. And that's the difference. And that's the first problem I have with people's understanding of no regrets. It's not about the bucket list. It's actually the reverse it's about what you've already done from the bucket list that counts. Got me? You following me? All right, let's keep going. Here's another one. Again, the Atlantic from this article. To extinguish your regrets doesn't put you on a path to freedom. It consigns you to making the same mistakes again and again. In other words, they got it right, at least in one perspective, that if you think that forgetting what you did, the decisions you made, remember? Because that's what the bucket list is. That's what everybody's concept of no regrets is. I, I don't want to, don't, don't talk to me about my messy past. Don't talk to me about the decisions I've made. I don't want to deal with that. But at least in this article, they got it right. They say, if you don't deal with that, the danger is, is you'll keep on making those mistakes. Doesn't that make sense? It's true. 
If you don't learn from your mistakes because you ignore them or push them away, the decisions you've made, because all you want to do is worry about the things that you haven't done. I mean, commercials have it, right? There's a commercial for Expedia out there. It's kind of a, one of these commercials. I, I like it, actually. It's about this actor who goes through the studio and it's all these people and he's saying, you know, what's on your, what sort of things that you want to do in life, right? Get a better cell phone or, you know, do this or that or, and then he goes, isn't it the places you'd want to go? It's a very good commercial and it's a very effective commercial. Why? Because it's tapping into the things that you wish to go oh, I wish I could have traveled here and seen this, or I wish, that's a beautiful place, I wish I could travel there. We spend so much time on travel in the West, more than any other place in the world, because we want to go out and explore. It's our bucket list. We don't want to die, we don't want to live this life and not have gone and, and done X, Y, Z. There's nothing wrong with traveling. Trust me, I've traveled to the States, Central America, South America, Europe, I've traveled to many, many countries. I'm not saying you don't travel. But if that's what you're trying to achieve in life so that you have no regrets, the things that you, places you wanted to go and you didn't get a chance to go, that is not going to help. And here's what the answer is. If you read the Atlantic, if you read these academic journals, here's what, the, here's what they tell you. If you as an individual can overcome your regrets, your real regrets, the regrets that that but the decisions you've made, that is a feat that could change your life. But here's where I disagree with them. Here's where I diverge with the common thinking. Human effort cannot fix the things that have hurt us in the past, things that cause pain. Human effort cannot. They may help a bit, they may help you, professionals may help you a bit, but there's only one person that can completely, completely free you from something that in your past has held you back. And that name is Jesus. And that's the name we sang today. Human effort. Residential schools. 150,000 children were taken from their homes and forced to go to these schools. This is a, the Christian institutions that did this, crazy, the sermon for another day. But we should never marry church and state, ever. Perfect example of what happened here. Which is why I don't understand why our brothers and sisters south of the border are so into the politics of things. It'll never come out positive. Ever. Never has in history. In fact, the effort that goes into doing that, the money, the effort, the power that's there, incredible. I, I use these stats, I'm getting a little bit off here, but I use these stats. If we stopped all the spending and money on politics and TV and advertising to get our political influence in North America done, we could probably provide clean drinking water for the whole world. And that doesn't stop there. 
It doesn't stop there. But you see, this is an example of worldly ways of doing things creeping into the church and us following that path and thinking that that's going to resolve things. It won't. Just like regret. Just like regret. Talking about the residential schools. They don't know the most... The estimates range from three to 30,000 children died. And most of them died because of the poor conditions. Humid, cold conditions. Too few staff. Too many children. Too few resources to keep the buildings heated properly. And the church just went right along with it. And so... What happens is, another concept of regret that we have in our culture that's creeped into the church is this concept of forgive and forget. There's nowhere in the Bible that says forgive and forget. I go online and I see people teach that the Bible says forgive and forget. And I read those articles and I said, the scripture doesn't say that. What has happened to us? Look what it's done. The residential school problem has been around for decades. I was reading about it 20 years ago. And I would go to work and I would tell people, do you know what happened? And they would say, I had no idea. Only now has it become part of our national conscious. Yet, it's been around for a long time. And you see, this is the problem with forgiving and forgetting. Because here's the notion of forgiving and forgetting. It's the same as regret. It's about, look, you know, we made a mistake. I'm sorry. Now let's move on and forget about it. Because that's what we've been doing for decades with this problem here in Canada. That's what we've been doing. We're sorry. Let's, let's, let's create a new amendment to the Indian Act and and, and we'll give you some money or, or some more powers, and then we forget about it and move on. You can't forget about it. You can't forget about it. Forgive and forget is not godly. I am telling you right now today, you need to correct that thinking in our lives, in the church. It is not in Scripture. There's only one person in Scripture that has the ability to forget, and it's God. God is the one who says, I will throw your sins into the sea of forgetfulness. Not us. It is God. God has not called us to do that. There's no such thing as forgive and forget in Scripture. Yet, there are articles online about it. It is preached. We have to stop it. Brothers and sisters, we have to stop living that way. We have to stop living about, with things about the bucket list. We have to stop living in ways that, that the world, be transformed. That's what the Bible says, right? Be transformed. Don't conform to this world. Be transformed. There was an interesting quote by the Pope. He is actually quoting Eli Weisel. And here's what he said. He is a Holocaust survivor. And he says, It is right to remember 
because forgetfulness leads to indifference. To forget leads to indifference. I, uh, you guys know that I spent many years here and then I left to, to work downtown. And one of the biggest people groups that I had to work with for about eight years was the First Nations. Some were Ojibwe, Cree, variety of different First Nations people. And there's one incident, one incident, I've said about this incident before, there's one incident that just, just like burns into my mind. You know those incidents in life where, you know, that happen and they just burn into your mind and you can't get rid of them? There's this one incident. And I was, I was, you know, this is the way, for those of you who don't know about uh, TAC, Toronto Lions Church, downtown. And a team of us used to go downtown pre-COVID. And we used to, you know, come down with food and clothing and everything. We used to feed the people on, on the street. They would come into the church. And the church is an urban church. It's upstairs. You have to go up these narrow it's above a furniture store, and you'd go up there, and people would come in, and we'd start, they'd start off with coffee, you know, and, and that's how they started off, you know, tax started off by just inviting people in for coffee, and so that tradition came in, and they'd start off with coffee, and we'd feed them, and we would, we would teach the volunteers to be servers, you know, to go to the tables, and what would you like, there's, you know, would you like coffee, tea, or juice, and so people would feel that there's some dignity there, and then, and then we would bring out the food, and the food was hot food from churches. It wasn't made there like a soup kitchen. And it, it was a beautiful thing. You see, sometimes limitations are actually a beautiful thing. Because if, we had ha- if it was a big church that had a soup kitchen, you'd make this food for the masses. But the very fact that you brought down food, people here in this church would make food at home. We would say, okay, we're making chili. People would make chili in their homes and they'd bring it here and we'd take it down with us. And then we would serve people chili on the tables. And some of you might remember that. And you know how many people would say, we so appreciate the fact that we know that somebody with their own hands in their own kitchen made this food. It made it different and special. Because it came from people who cared. Not people who were hired to make the meal in a soup kitchen and then hand it out. And so here I am this night, and all of a sudden, there's a new group, and usually about a third of the people that come are from the First Nations community because there was a a cultural center near the church, and there was a new group of guys that came in. And you know, when you work with people downtown, sometimes they're drunk or high, or both. And so a big group of guys, like, you know, I'm a short guy, so I can tell you they're big because I had to look up as they were coming in and I would greet them, you know, and they were coming in and you could tell that they, they, they were from the cultural center. They were all First Nations people. They were coming and they, they were drunk or high and you could tell they were, at times I thought they were going to fall down the stairs. But these were big guys. And they were, it was the first time that they were visiting the church for a long time. And they sat at a table and we just poured love on them. That's what we did every night. We just poured love on them. All we did was pour love on them. And some of these lives were transformed. Some of these lives have been transformed. 
there's one person, you've heard me talk about Chuck many, many times. Chuck, one of the most dangerous criminals in Toronto. His face was posted by the police online. He was a pimp, a drug dealer. He committed assault. He did all those things. He even spat on me. He pushed me around. He threatened to kill me. And we just poured love on him. That is running. Every time he would insult somebody who was a volunteer, they'd love him back. Every time that he tried to provoke them, they'd love him back. They didn't call the police. I mean, if he had hit somebody hard and hurt them, we would. But he was provoking. A few years later, he becomes a Christian, dies of AIDS because of his drug use. But before he died, he knew the Lord. And he was out on the streets going to everybody he knew that he had, that he had pimped, that he had sold drugs to, that Jesus is alive. That's what happens when you run. Many of you didn't see this happening behind the scenes, but every step that you took in doing that, you don't see it, God sees it, but do you do it faithfully? And it'll happen. So back to this table of these First Nations people, and so, and so they decide to stay for worship. And a lot of times, we don't, you know, when we were at TAC, I really loved this about them. They didn't plan for this, it just so happened. It's sort of like, Another thing that so happened is they would, they would do the service at the end, not at the beginning. You know, in many soup kitchens that are Christian, they do it at the beginning. You got to hear the message first and then we'll give you food. It's sort of like a transaction. You know what I mean? No. We're going to love you. If you choose to stay, stay. If you choose to go, go. And next week we're going to love you anyway if you came or stayed or not. That's showing love. It's not conditional. It's unconditional. I mean, Chuck I spoke about he would always leave, and then little by little, he started staying for one or two songs, and after a song, he'd stay for the whole worship, but he'd leave with the message, and then he'd start, I mean, Chuck was one of those. And so we have these First Nations people, this table that I was telling you about, and they're all sitting there, and they're deciding to stay through worship. And they just want food, and I think they were more hungover than anything else, and I thought they weren't even listening. I thought they were sleeping. So Bill was preaching that night, Pastor Bill, and I was standing at the back because when he preaches, you know, one of my jobs is to stand at the back and if, if a fight breaks out or something happens, I'm in there. Okay, guys, it's okay. You know, like one of those. And so as Bill is preaching, one of them stands up. One of these First Nation people stands up. And I won't use all the language he used. He basically says, what do you know do you know the pain that I suffered? Do you know what they did to me? Do you know how I was tortured? Do you know that I was sexually abused and you sit there and preach at me? And he's yelling at Bill. He's yelling at Bill. And you know what Bill does? Bill stops his sermon. Would you go for the one and leave the 99 behind? Would you stop your sermon? Would you stop what you're doing that's so important? So Bill stops, looks towards the man, 
He says, I acknowledge your pain and suffering. I wasn't there, but on behalf of Christians and this Christian church, I want to say I'm sorry. This was 10 years ago. I want to say I'm sorry. And I was saying that that is not a representation of God's love. That is not how God wanted you to be treated. And tonight I'm going to pray that God would take that away from you. And I am sorry. I am so sorry. And when he had stood up, all the other guys were ready to like for a fight. You know, like there was like a group of guys. But as soon as Bill apologized, they all relaxed. And he sat down. And he stayed for the entire message. There's something happening in that moment that is very important. Something in that moment that teaches us about grief and sorrow and how we're to deal with it as Christians. In that moment, Bill had to make a choice. And in that moment, Bill knew that his concept of how to deal with grief and sorrow and pain wasn't working and Bill needed to present him something different. Something different. And that is what God in his word tells us to do. We need to do something different. But you might say, oh, Pastor Julia, you talk about not forgiving and forgetting, but doesn't the seed forgetfulness, I've already mentioned. Or how about 1 Corinthians 13.5 where it talks about you know, keeping no records of, of, of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Let me address that first because some, some people might go there. First of all, if you look at other, the NIV says, yeah, keep, love keeps no record of wrongs. But the ESV translated as resentful and the King James as thinks no evil. It's a word in Greek that talks about accumulation and recording of debts. It's not saying to forget It's saying, don't create a ledger of the wrong that someone has done to you. And every time that you have to deal with them, you have a ledger. This is all the things you've done to me. Here you go. You know, I I do marriage counseling, right? I said, that's one of the worst things you guys can do is make a list of what you've done and then present it to each other. There's nothing wrong in saying, look, hey, you know what? I've done this before. I said I wouldn't. I'm sorry. This is what's talking about keeping a list, a grievance, having resentment. That's not forgetting. It's not saying that in love you forget. If you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians 7.10. Let's dig in now because this is the key to understanding what Bill understood And what Bill was talking about when he prayed for that man. Second Corinthians 7 says that for godly grief, some of your translation might say sorrow. Godly grief. There is a godly grief. There is a godly sorrow. Produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Do you see that? A godly grief. 
whereas worldly grief, grief produces death. Now, if you do a cross-reference on this, it's going to take you to the salvation message of Christians. But this isn't what Paul meant to bring here. Let me give you some context of this verse. 2 Corinthians 7.10. Now we know Paul traveled to Corinth, right? Acts 18, traveled there. It says he spent about a year and a half there. And then he wrote 1 Corinthians. What was 1 Corinthians about? 1 Corinthians was about all the things that the church was doing wrong. There was a lot of division. There was a lot of sexual immorality. Just a lot of stuff. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians saying, look guys, you got to clean up your act. You can't live like you did before. You can't go to the prostitution house. Like there is so much stuff that was happening in those societies. Paul pointed out a few examples, but there's so many things. And Paul's saying, you got to clean up your life. There is a way that God, there's a purpose by which God has called you to live. And so in chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, you'll see that he talks about him visiting and that it wasn't all roses when he visited. He not only had to write the letter, he had to go there personally to deal with all the issues. And that is why many people believe they had to be there 18 months. There was a lot of stuff that he had to deal with. And so as he's writing 2 Corinthians in chapters 5 and 6, he's starting to remind them, hey guys, if you deal with this stuff, like you've, you've become Christians and if you deal with this stuff in your lives properly, remember that we have a heavenly dwelling. You know, chapter 5. And, and that there's a ministry of reconciliation. 5 and 6. And then he comes to, you know, 6 talking about the temple of the living God. And he's, and he's trying to bring them to the point. And then he, in chapter 7 he talks about the grief that it caused. You see, Paul was saying, you've made choices in life. And my, my role is to point out that you're not living the way you should. My role as a leader is to point out that you're not running as you should. And what Paul is saying here, you look, read the few verses before and after when you go home. It's saying, you might not like what I say, but what I say is from the Lord, and he is saying that you got to clean up your act. And then he says, and if you grieve and you feel bad by what I say, you know what he says? That's good. That's good. Don't think of it as bad. If what I say is tugging on some strings of the heart, that's a good thing. That's good grief. That's good sorrow. We want that. That's godly sorrow. That is a spirit of God stirring up inside of you. 
And so Paul is telling the Corinthian church, so this isn't just a message to people who don't believe. And for people who don't believe, let me tell you this. Do you want to live a life regretting everything that has happened in your life? Or do you want to live in denial? Is that what you want to do? Because neither is great. And there's only a freedom that can come from Jesus Christ. And that weight and that yoke that you're feeling can only be lifted by Jesus Christ. And those of you here who've given your lives to the Lord, remember that time you gave your life to Christ. Remember what it was like. That is what Paul is talking about. Paul is addressing Christians that he spent time with, a year and a half with. He's not talking to people who are unbelievers. Don't just read the words. The words are in the context of a paragraph before and after. He's talking to Christians. Why would he do that? It doesn't sound right, does it? No, it sounds perfect, actually. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Regret whereas worldly grief produces death. And he goes on. What he's saying is, guys, the same thing that brought you to salvation is the same thing that's going to deal with your grief in a godly way and give you freedom. We tend to, as Christians, after we've been Christians for a long time, to sort of forget that day, but we shouldn't. We should cherish the day we gave our heart to the Lord. Because that day needs to be relived every day. It needs to stay fresh every day. That's what Paul is saying. And Paul is saying, you know what, guys? You might have gotten upset because I sort of pointed out some things that you didn't want to hear. Like forgive and forget doesn't work. Bucket lists aren't the way to live without no regrets. Not saying don't have a bucket list, I'm just saying that that shouldn't be your main focus. Our focus should be more on the decisions we have made. Because here's what happens. Here's what happens when we do that. There's freedom. Max Lucado says this. When he says we're forgiven, let's unload the guilt. When he says we're value, let's believe him. When he says we're provided for, let's stop worrying. God's efforts are strongest when our efforts are useless. When you're in a state of grieving and sorrow, almost, it's almost like being in a state if you can't almost do anything. It's like you've given up, you've surrendered. And what Paul is saying here is you need to look at our lives and the decisions we made because here's the key, here's the key. And this is what Paul is saying. Here's the key. Not just things you're doing now but things that have happened to you. I want you to think about things in your life, maybe things that you've done, things that have been done to you or things that you've seen that have been done that have shocked you and hurt you deeply. And if when those things come up, you feel bad inside, you have not dealt with it. Are there memories you're suppressing 
because you're afraid of the consequences of those memories and the feelings that you have because you don't want to deal with the guilt and the pain and the shame. That is not godly. That is worldly. That is what the world tells you to do. What does God want you to do? God wants you to look at what happened, the decision you made, or the the pain that you received, acknowledge it. What did we do when we got saved? Romans 10, 9, 10. We confess with our mouth and believe with our heart. Confess it with your mouth. And it might take many times because we are complex people. It's like peeling an onion. God might need us to do that many times to deal with all the layers of pain and hurt that might be there or the many ones that you have. But here's what happens. Every time you confess it and you bring it to the Lord, every time, and you believe in your heart that he is working on you and you ask him, Lord, deal with this. you are now releasing your human effort and giving it to him for him and his power to deal with you. Just like he did when he saved you. God is in the transformation business. He is. He's in the transformation business. I tell you, when I went down to TAC, we were just talking about TAC, when I went down to TAC, when I went down to TAC, I was probably as good a Pharisee as you could find one. And I was a pastor here. See, I'm, I'm a businessman. I run a business. I have staff. I have to worry about the profit and loss statement every month. People need to get paid. Clients need to be served. You need to be tough. To run like a business. You don't do your job, there's the door. The one thing that God had to break in me was that the church is no business for business. See, God is in a transformation business. And God took away from me the desire for me to use my business skills in the church. In fact, let me tell you a secret. I've been, up until that time, I was a treasurer, board member, pastor, secretary. I've done it all for many churches. I've done it all. I'm sort of like Paul. I have my own business. I serve God. God sends me where I need to go, and I go. And he pays for my wages through my work week, not through the church. That's just how it's been. That's just how it is. He uses me in a unique way. But you guess what? He put on my heart to not get involved in the church administration and finance anymore. In fact, when I do, it is so hard. I dislike it so much. And why? Because while I was at TAC, and I was seeing that my prejudices and biases towards people were being dealt with, 
and I didn't feel good inside, I'd confess it and bring it to the Lord. And so the onion started peeling and peeling and peeling to the point of where I am here today. It's a process, but it's the same process we went through when we got saved. And I haven't, and I I speak to everyone here, I haven't once counseled somebody where they come across and tell me that they have no regrets. That they don't struggle with. So what's the key? See, God wants you to look at the the things that maybe you're burying or shoving aside, the things that you don't want to deal with, and he wants to deal with them. He does. But you need to take the first step. You need to say, okay, Lord, I know this is wrong. Here it is. Okay, Lord, I did this to so-and-so five years ago, and I've been justifying my actions, and deep down inside, I know it's not. Here it is. Lord, I was, I, this was done to me when I was a child. Here it is, Lord. I was hurt in the church by X, Y, Z. Here it is. I saw something terrible. Here it is. Because if you don't bring it out, it will consume you. It will. My grandfather was consumed by what happened to him when he was a child. His parents had him out of wedlock. And so back in Spain, that was a big no-no. So they put him on a doorstep, just like in a movie, in a basket at the house of the wealthiest family in the town. And they took him in and raised him. But they were an older couple and had lots of older children. And so when he became eight or nine, they said to the children, we've already helped you get your own farms and your own businesses and everything like that. We're going to give everything that we have to this little child. And so this little child at eight, nine, inherited an entire farm a well-off farm. But did the children step in to help? No. The children knew that if they didn't step in to help, that the thing would fall apart because how is, the, how is an eight, nine-year-old going to pay the workers or know when to plant and when to sow? And so the farm fell into ruin and the kid couldn't make food because there was nobody at home to make food for him. And his, the elder children of that family who never really took him in just left him, and so he's on the streets. And so a teacher in the town took him in and said, this is a, this is a travesty here. And so you know what the, you know what the, the children of, of that family said? We'll take care of him until he's 16 when he's old enough to go out and work. But for that, we want my parents' property. So it's a second pair of parents he lost. Then, then everything that was given to him is taken away from him. And at 16, literally when he turned to 16, they came in, took over the, the, the place and kicked him out. And he was on the street again. And at that time, Franco 
in Spain was in charge and there was a huge war. And what was happening was there were towns that were politically aligned to fascism and towns that were politically aligned to socialism. And you talk about ethnic cleansing, this was ethnic political cleansing. Franco would go to the town that was socialist with the town that was fascist around that town, take them out, bury a big pit, shoot them all and throw them into that pit. So my grandfather, who is now on his own, learned to trade between Portugal and Spain because it was right on the border. And one day he came across moaning and moaning. And he followed the moaning. And he saw it mounds of dirt. And he followed the moaning. And when he looked in, he saw bodies on top of bodies with blood everywhere. He saw people he knew. And it devastated him. And in his older years, he would drink. Now the story ends well because somebody gave my, my grandfather a Bible. And through that, he came to know the Lord. But he suffered for many years because of the pain. And I tell you this story because sometimes what grieves us may be something we've chosen to do. Sometimes what grieves us is something that was done to us. Or sometimes what grieves us something that we've seen done to someone else. And it's all terrible. And what Paul has revealed to us is that there is a godly way to mourn. There is a godly way to grieve. There is a godly way to be sorry. And it's the same as when we got saved. It's that simple. So why don't we do it? Maybe because we think it's too simple? Hebrews 12.1. Want to live a life with no regrets? Hebrews 12.1 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Right? We know what we're talking about here, right? Faith. Those who are led as examples of faith. Let us also lay aside every what? Weight. And sin. It's just not sin, but weight. What weighs you down? Huh? The things in your past that you haven't dealt with. Maybe things in your life today that you haven't dealt with. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Clings. You see that? See the words he uses? Things that weigh you down and cling to you. And then he says, let us run. Do you see that? At the beginning... I asked you, do you guys want to run? Do you want to run? You can't run if you have weight on you. You can't. There's no way. 
There's no way. Even if you've chosen to bury it and live with it, there's no way. There's no way. Run the race of endurance. That is what we must do. And so how do we do that? David, Psalm 119, 59. When I think of my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. Do you see that? When I think of my ways, when I reflect on my past, when I reflect on the way I do things, when I reflect on the things that have been done to me, when I reflect in my ways, the way I do things, what has happened, I turn my feet to your testimonies. Do you see that? So here's what the Bible is saying. You have weight in your lives that is holding you back. Let's talk about volunteering. What's holding you back from volunteering? What is holding you back? What is holding you back from giving? What is holding you back? What, what is the weight that is holding you back? Why aren't you running? These are questions I'm asking to get you to think. And when you start to think of your life and you start to think of what are the decisions I've made when there are things in my life that hurt, that I feel guilty for, God wants to give you freedom. He wants to free you from the guilt. He wants to free you from the pain. He wants to free you from the shame. That is the no regrets that God wants to give you. God wants you to have no regrets in such a way that when you remember the things or somebody reminds you or they come back, you might say, yeah, I regret that that happened. But hey, it has no impact on me. That's the way God wants you to live. Yes, they did this to me, but so what? God has healed me, and it does not affect me anymore. I am running. I am not letting it weigh me down. Yes, I did that. I did say that, and I am sorry, but God has forgiven me, and I have dealt with that, and I am running, and I'm not going to let that stop me. Yes, the church misused funds sometimes at the church where I came from, and they didn't do things properly. Don't let that weigh you down. That is not your problem. That is between God and the leadership that was at that church. Don't let that weigh you down. I'm busy. I'm busy. I work, you know, 60, 70, 80 hours. I do too. But I also find time for Netflix and Disney Plus and all those other things. Don't let that weigh you down. What are the things that are weighing you down? Why are those things helping you avoid what God is calling us to do? We must be like David who said, I think on my ways. And the way it is said here, now and in the past. And I turn my feet to your testimonies. When he thinks on what he's had to deal with, what is in his heart, it forces him to turn towards God. Because he knows that that's the only place that's going to get dealt with. 
It's the only way. So in Hebrews, it is telling us, identify what's weighing you down. And in Psalms, it's saying, take it to the Lord. And guess what? It's the same thing that you had to do when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The exact same thing. And so today I'm asking you, as Paul asked the Corinthian church, I am bringing this message to you because I want to bring things to the surface that are hidden. I want to bring things from the past that are weighing you down to the present. I want to deal with the lies that you have heard and have let come in to your life. Think about the things, and if you feel guilty inside, if you feel remorse inside, then let's deal with it. Because the Spirit wants to deal with it. And that's the godly way to grieve. And once you give it to the Lord, once you've confessed it to the Lord, once you've done those things, then God can change them. Then instead of you know, walking around like a sack of potatoes over your back, you can actually walk and run. Do you, ever, do you ever confess something or deal with something after an argument and you feel like a big weight's off your shoulder? You feel like, wow, this is so great. I'm so glad that we made up. That's what God wants to do with every aspect, everything that's happened to you. He wants no weights to hold you back. And as David said, when you consider our ways, when you consider my ways, you go to the testimonies of the Lord. And what are the testimonies? His promises, his word, his declarations. If there is pain, didn't he say he would heal you? You gotta bring it to him. And if it takes more than once, then do it again and again and again. I have something terrible that happened to me when I was a child. Horrible. I would never want any child to go through. And I probably every now and then have to bring it to the Lord because there's something there that I didn't know was there and God deals with it every time. And it used to affect how I had my temperament, everything. But now when I look back at it, no regrets. I don't cower away at it. I don't let it defeat me or weigh me down or hold me back. I say no regrets. No regrets. You can say no regrets too. You made mistakes? Bring it to the Lord. No regrets. You felt pain? No regrets. Bring it up. Don't bury it. You're worried about how the church is going to use your money? I'm not doing that to try and get you guys to tithe. Don't get me wrong, okay? But it is one of the big issues these days. It is. Leadership fails, guys. It does. Look at the Bible. Look at David. I mean, think about David. God, guy, God, God after, after God's own heart, right? That's what the, the Bible said. The guy premeditated murder. Okay? Leader of Israel, premeditated murder. Adultery. He not only slept with another woman, he made sure that the guy of that woman got killed. And then he tried to hide it. 
What did he do? What he was trying to bury it, what was happening? Thank goodness, you know, that prophet came along because of God's grace. Because you know what would happen to the the kingdom if he hadn't. The prophet, just like Paul with the Corinthian church, the prophet came by and said, yeah, I got something for you here. There's a rich guy who took a poor guy's sheep. And when David considered his ways, he turned his feet to the testimonies of the Lord. I am here today not because I am special. I am just a leader like anybody else. I'm not perfect. I'm very imperfect. Very imperfect. I have things that I have to deal with and bring to the Lord all the time. Paul would tell you that. Read in Paul. Paul says, why do I do the things I don't want to do? Look how many books he wrote and the wisdom that came from that man's hand and mouth. And then he says, I did things that I know weren't right and I did them and I shouldn't have done. In the present tense. He's not talking about before he was, he was knocked to the ground. Don't let things hold you back. If the church hurt you, that's a weight. Give it to God. That's not a weight you should carry. If a person at church hurt you, that's a weight that you're carrying. You need to give it to God. God doesn't want that weight on you. If somebody hurt you in your past, that's a weight. If you are one of the ones that hurt somebody else and God is putting on your heart, that's a weight. You need to give that to God. God wants you to give everything, every little thing, in detail. Be specific. You know how specific we were when we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, right? I accepted Jesus Christ as the Son of God, that he died for my sins on the cross, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose, and he conquered death and went to stay with the Father in heaven waiting for his church that he would call. Isn't that what we could? And I am a sinner, and I need you to cleanse me of my sins, and I make you my Lord and Savior. Very specific. You need to be that specific with the weights that are causing you from not running. Are you ready to run? Do you want to run? That's called called you to run. I should be hearing a resounding yes because there's nobody, nobody who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior who has not been called to run. Nobody. Not one. Everyone is called to run. So what race has God called you to run? And what's holding you back? What's holding you back? Let us consider our ways, turn our feet, to the testimonies of God. All right, let's bow our heads online and in here. If we can call the worship team up as well. Let's bow our heads. Father, I know that we have a new body, that all our sins 
when we get to heaven, are thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. I know that you will wipe away every tear, and that is our hope. But you have called us for a purpose here and now before that takes place, before that comes to be. And that purpose is there for the revealing for those who trust in you. And you, in your word, as David said, I turn to your testimonies, and here's the testimony from the Bible. It says that you were called, that you were made part of a body. And as Paul taught, you were given a certain function as part of that body. You were given a role in life. If it's to be pray, then be a prayer warrior. If it's to help with children, come on guys, don't let membership and, and plan to protect hold you back. Really? Is that what you're really going to say when you get to heaven? Oh Lord, I, I want we to help the children, but they wanted me to become a member and do plan to protect. Come on. But let's, let's dig deeper now. More, more, more importantly. God, you've called me to be a witness to my neighbor. You've called me to be a witness to my brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, cousins, co-workers, friends. You have asked me to be your ambassador and witness. You've asked me to run. But I have weights that are weighing me down. I confess that right now today. May this be your prayer. And I'm going to stop for a few seconds. And I want you to remember to look back or look now at what's happening in your life. Consider your ways. Is there something that comes up that gives you pain and grief and sorrow? And it doesn't have to be about yourself. It could be for somebody else. The pain that you have for a son or daughter. You know, this world's ways of dealing with regret and sorrow and forgiveness is only going to go so far. Only going to go so far. But what God wants to do is a complete work in you. He doesn't want to wait till you get to heaven he wants to do a complete work in you now he doesn't want things clinging to you and holding you back if there was something all our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed if there was something in your life that you have seen or if someone else that you have pain for or pain in your life or that you have done, now is the time to confess it. I want you to confess it right now. 
in the spirit in the spirit and now while their heads are bowed those of you that are declaring today that you're bringing this to the Lord want you raise your hand in the seats right now just raise your hands I see those hands raise your hands this is your confession to the Lord just like when we accepted Jesus Christ I am bringing this to you Lord this pain that I feel this past I am giving it to you I confess it as a weight that is clinging to me if it's something I'm done forgive me if it is something that's been done to me Lord it is so painful I don't want to remember the flashbacks that come into my mind I don't want to even consider but Lord I bring it and I bring it to you and I want to struggle with it in the spirit and I want to deal with it let me put your hands down as Paul said if the message grieves you or makes you think this is a good thing it's a good thing because what God wants is every weight off your back he doesn't want any guilt to be part of your life he doesn't want to be any shame to be part of your life he doesn't want you to have doubt doubt is a weight doubt is a weight there's some of you who doubt and struggle that is a weight that's holding you back there's some of you that are struggling because of what churches have done what you've seen on TV that is a weight therefore since we are, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses those that didn't let the weights of the things that happened to them hold them back let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run the endurance the race that is set before us father I just pray for everyone here and online Lord you called us to be mighty warriors you called us to be conquerors you called us to do mighty things for there to be healing for children to come to know you for people in this community to know who Jesus Christ is you called us into so many things Lord just blow away all those weights that have been brought to you today and teach us how to run teach us how to run in the name of Jesus Christ I pray